0: Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Everybody, uh, everybody get their hot dog buns before they all sell out? We ran into that trouble uh, trying to find some hot dog and burger buns for our growth group, and we literally went to three places, and you know where we found them? Quickstar. <laughs> uh, well, again, just good morning. Uh, if, if this is your first time joining us, Welcome. Uh, I am Jake. I'm the worship gathering director here. I'm normally up here, but I have a solid team that uh, we've been just working together. And so I'm just so blessed by uh, Sam's leadership, Michelle, Anna, just as we've been getting them uh, just more in uh, leadership role here. So uh, if you're joining us online as well, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, Let's open up our Bibles to Nehemiah 6. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning. And so every week we encourage folks to, to open up their Bibles, whether you got a paper copy or you have uh, the Bible app on your phone. Uh, we just want you to have a Bible in front of you. Uh, if you want a physical Bible, there are a couple in the lobby there that you can grab. Uh, and if you want to send us an email, we can send one to you uh, somehow, some way. Well, after Easter, we jumped right into the book of Nehemiah. And at the same time, we also jumped into a capital campaign to raise funds uh, for a down payment on this building. And if you remember, at the beginning of the series, Aaron mentioned that someone had come up to him and they were kind of very cautious, kind of concerned against uh, going through Nehemiah while doing a capital campaign uh, just because it could be perceived as like being manipulative, using spiritual likeness to get people's money. Well, full disclosure, that person was me. Um, And so as Aaron and I had had our meeting, uh, I shared with him uh, that I'd heard of churches doing the very same thing and had fallen into uh, a rut of sorts, basically trying to build their own little empires, uh, not reaching non-Christians in the area and not taking opportunities to serve the community, but rather building up their brand um, and serving themselves. So to me, it seemed like we could potentially fall into that same trap. Now, after having walked through this series with you guys, I just want to reassure you, I'm totally on board. Um... I I think there is value in walking through the biblical narrative uh, and seeing what God has accomplished and ushered in through his people. Um, We started in Nehemiah seeing how he felt grieved by the state of Jerusalem uh, and the city walls and and how he felt called by God to rebuild the walls uh, and how he prayed for months, made a plan, uh, asked his boss, who was the king of Persia, uh, for permission to go build the walls. uh, And he was given. Given that opportunity, he acquired the resources to accomplish the task. And so we also saw how Nehemiah and the people worked on various parts of the wall. Some folks had uh, smaller, shorter sections to work on, and others had longer and larger portions. Uh, But all together, they worked on it uh, to accomplish this goal. And for the last two weeks, uh, we explored some of the distractions uh, that Nehemiah and the people faced. Uh, Some from outside with uh, prophets and attackers trying to stop the process. And then some from inside as Nehemiah had to put an end to uh, some practices that were actually uh, harming the poor in their community. And today, we're going to see the wall pretty much get finished. Um, So this morning as we worship through God, Uh, worship God through his word. Uh, As I said, we'll be in Nehemiah 6. Um, I want us to be asking ourselves this question. What now? All right, kids, since you're in service uh, and adults, since you'll have to do it anyway, uh, let's say this together. So when I do this, what now? All right, let's do it one more time. What now? Good. All right. But I, I say, what now, not in the sense of, uh, what now? Uh, I say it in the sense of, now that the work has been finished, what's the next step? Now that, the, now that we've made it to this point, where do we go from here? We're going to see that as Nehemiah and the people finished the wall in chapter 6 that the book doesn't end there. Uh, In fact, if you look at it, uh, there are 13 chapters in Nehemiah, and this is our last day in the series. Uh, So this couldn't have only been about the rebuilding of the wall. So this is what brings us to our scripture passage today, uh, Nehemiah 6. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together in Hakafirim, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, There is a king in Judah." And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, Their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went, to the ho- went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehatabul, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So while Nehemiah and the people are putting the finishing touches, on the city wall, Uh, basically uh, installing the doors in the gates would have been that last step. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are at it again. Uh, We first meet them at the end of chapter two as they're mocking Nehemiah and the people for starting the rebuilding process of the wall. And in chapter four, we see them organize enemies of the Jews to attack and eventually uh, kill them to put a stop to that progress. In their previous attempts, uh, they failed to stop God's work through God's people. So this is their last-ditch effort. Uh, Their first final plan to ruin everything is by deception. It says that Sanballat and Geshem uh, had sent a message to Nehemiah asking him uh, to meet uh, at Heciferim in the plain of Ono, so, this, this could have been seen as an attempt to make amends. Uh, Nehemiah could have gotten the letter and be like, I didn't expect to get enough from these guys. I bet they're trying to apologize for, for what they've done. You know, we can be friends. You know, let bygones be bygones. But we actually get some insight from Nehemiah, whether that's his own intuition or. You know, a word from God warning him uh, that this wasn't an attempt to apologize, but it was actually an attempt to uh, isolate Nehemiah from everyone else. Um, get them to take some time off by having him travel uh, from Jerusalem to uh, to Ono, which is about twenty-five to thirty-ish miles outside of the city. Um, geographically, it's kind of like a, a no-man's land, so. You have that there. Um, And they were going to try to uh, attack him, jump him, beat him up, uh, and maybe even kill him in hopes of taking out the leader of this rebuilding effort uh, and ultimately stop the rebuilding of the wall. They're trying to draw him away from the work that God has called him to and distract him and to harm him. Uh, Yet he responds, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now, kids, this is not the same as when your mom and dad are asking you to stop playing your games and come down to dinner or go to bed. You can't just go, Mom, we're doing a great work. <laughs> Five more minutes. It's not the, not the same thing. See, parents, I've got your back. Uh <laughs> No, he's saying this in the sense of uh, he, he's focused on the work that has been laid before them. Uh, and so, he, he, Nehemiah is not going to let up. He and the people are going to continue the work. Um, and so, they attempt this three more times. It's like the same letter. It's like they probably think Nehemiah left them on red. And then just like, but did you? did you see it? Um, And yet he responds the same way each time. No, I've got a great work that the Lord has given me. The next final plan is by misrepresentation. Uh, So they've tried sending a message four times. uh, And so the fifth time they send their message uh, with an open letter. Now, when we think of an open letter, we kind of think of a a post on social media or a website or a blog or maybe even like a little section in a newspaper uh, that's written from someone to someone, but it's open for everyone to see. It's public. And so this worked in virtually the same way. Uh, Basically, when a letter was sent out, uh, it was enclosed with a seal, and so as that would get sent uh, through messengers, the only person who would be able to read it is the person or group to whom it it was directed. Well, with an open letter, there's no seal. So as this message is getting passed around to various messengers, the contents are open for anybody and everybody uh, to read it. And so Sam Ballot isn't writing the truth, but is, is trying to publicly discredit Nehemiah by dragging his intentions to rebuild the wall into a false narrative. Um, This could dramatically affect the entire project in uh, a couple ways. Uh, First, it would cause Nehemiah to get in trouble with his boss, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. You know, if he thinks he's trying to rebuild in order to fortify for an upcoming rebellion, uh, this misrepresentation could, uh, could cause Artaxerxes to send a battalion to wipe out this harmless reconstruction crew under false pretenses. And second... This open letter, in turn, could also cause the people to fear for their lives and stop rebuilding altogether. Um, If Nehemiah was trying to, you know, instigate a rebellion and become the new king of Judah uh, without their prior knowledge, they'd probably read this and think, I don't want to be a part of this. So they'd probably leave their posts and allow Nehemiah to get wrecked by probably the Persian version of uh, SEAL Team 6. But Nehemiah responds to this lie. He says, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Nehemiah doesn't get overly defensive. He doesn't try to overcompensate in responding to uh, Sembalit's lie. He simply states it, matter of fact. uh, None of what you said, none of that's happening. You're making it up. See, Nehemiah's built rapport with Artaxerxes and has enough credibility among the people that he's not worried about being wiped out or abandoned. Instead, he says, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. See, even when he knows that the lies being told are untrue, Nehemiah still communicates his need for God's presence and intervention. He's not puffing himself up He's opening his working, wearied hands up to heaven, saying, God, would you continue to work your will through these hands? Would you still work through me if that is your will? But Sandballot and his goons aren't done yet. Uh, their final, final plan to ruin the rebuilding effort is by coercion. Now, this attempt on their part has a bit of nuance to it, some context. We would rather be none the wiser. Um, But basically, Samballot and Tobiah hire this guy, uh, Shemaiah, to give a false prophecy to Nehemiah. It says that uh, this guy was confined to his home. We don't know if that was due to some legal level of uncleanness. Um, But Nehemiah visits him because he trusts him, because he's a fellow Jew. Alas, his Jewish friend was paid off and proved to be a false prophet in the process. Um, he tells Nehemiah that his enemies are going to try to kill him at night. So in order to save his life, he needs to go run and hide in the temple uh, so that he won't be killed. Well, here's where we might miss the nuance. Nehemiah says, should, I, should such a man as I run away? And what's what man such as I should go into the temple and live? I will not go in. He's not saying this in the sense of, oh, I won't run from the fight. Let him come. Let him try. Uh, Rather, his response is actually affirming uh, his commitment to finishing the work on the wall But it also denotes a restriction from the law uh, in Numbers chapter 18, verse 7, that if anyone other than a Levite priest were to enter the temple, to go into the sanctuary, or even be too close to it, that could be considered a capital offense. And so in other words, they're trying to stir Nehemiah up in fear to try to coerce him into hiding in the temple to save his own life only to get him put to death by the authorities because he disobeyed the law and because he sinned against God. Now, we've seen Nehemiah respond to these attempts with such God-given discernment uh, at every turn, uh, even though he's being threatened by those who would seek to take his life. However, his reverence for God and his trust in God is far greater and far more compelling we see him even call out to God after this, saying, uh, ask, asking God to remember those who have tried to cause him to sin, that God would make them be remembered for their sin as well. And by God's providence, they failed in all their attempts to deceive, misrepresent, and coerce Nehemiah. So, As we continue in verse 15, uh, we read that the wall was finished in a total of 52 days. Um, Now, some of us might be thinking, 52 days? Oh, come on. Those are rookie numbers. I know steggy construction could do that in, in less than three days, maybe a day. Week. Well, to give you an idea of how big of an undertaking rebuilding the wall around the site of Jerusalem proper was, the approximate length of the wall was about two and a half miles long, about 40 feet in height, with the average thickness being about eight feet. This is the same wall that uh, Tobiah in uh, in his mockery said that just a mere fox jumping on it would cause it to crumble. And yet, here we have a wall big enough that during the wall's dedication in Nehemiah 12, that the leaders, the priests, uh, a couple of choirs, and basically a marching band are standing on top of. And in verse 16, we read that when their enemies heard of it, All the nations around them were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, this isn't part of commentary that Nehemiah is putting on, or it's not something that the people are saying to get people uh, riled up. Uh, This is actually coming from their enemies. Um, We see this. And and it should make us consider why this was such a big impact to the surrounding uh, neighboring countries and uh, their opponents. If this had been a purely human effort, they would likely have just been mad or upset that this is happening. Um, But even with approximately 37 distinct parties working day and night, laboring tirelessly despite threats of harm, Uh, the feat that was accomplished here causes them to experience a deep sense of dread because the presence and power of God was with them the entire time working through them. The wall was finished and the task at hand was done. But remember, what do we need to ask? What now? Did you guys catch it on? (laughs) Uh, so now I want to take a moment to brag. Not about me, not bragging about myself or anything I've done. I want to take some time to brag about my wife, Grace. Uh, yeah, I hear the little aww, it's just kind of. <laughs> uh, recently, Grace has been working really hard to finish something uh, personal, kind of accomplish it uh, 100%. Um, and so I'm glad to say that she has succeeded. Uh, I am, of course, talking about her quest to complete Yoshi's Crafted World. <laughs> this will be the first video game ever that she has completed 100%. She's She's been playing it on and off since Christmas. Uh, and, and a couple weeks ago, she, she got all the little flowers, all the little red coins and, and whatnot to uh, bring her, like, Completion to the full. And so after she beat all those sections, uh, she finally went to the final boss and she beat him on her first try. So <laughs> I love my wife. <laughs> uh, so she beat like one of the cutest games of all time. Uh, but after the credits rolled, we see this cutscene. And it uncovers this, like, hidden batch of levels we didn't even anticipate. Like, Grace literally yelled in surprise, like, there's more? Like, shaking her game controller. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's more. Uh, you'll notice if we read on in chapter 6, uh, you'll be like, hey, Jake, we're not done yet. Uh, there's, we're not even done with chapter 6. Well, the rest of chapter 6 tells us about how Tobiah still held some strong influence among the nobles um, in Judah due to a couple of familial relationships. Uh, These nobles go on to speak well of Tobiah uh, in Nehemiah's presence, and Tobiah continues to threaten him in his letters. So even after the wall has been finished, yeah, there's still more to come. Now, I'm not going to start a whole new sermon going through the rest of Nehemiah, uh, but I do want us to uh, look at a summary of basically what happens next. So in chapters 7 through 12, we see a census of sorts that uh, it's an organization of the exiled peoples and and folks with unknown descent. Uh, We see Ezra read the law to God's people, some of them hearing it for the first time in their homeland. And as the people are beginning to understand it, revival breaks out in joyful celebrations. The people are being renewed um, in, in confessing their sin and the sins of their forefathers. And they affirm and commit themselves to God's covenant and requirements. They dedicate the wall, they offer sacrifices to God, and they praise God for what he's done. But remember what we need to ask? What now? Yep. Chapter 13 is technically the last historical event we have in the Old Testament. And as you look at that, you might be like, uh, but Jake, we got about 23 books left in the, in the OT. Uh, well, the next book after Nehemiah is Esther. You know, Esther, the stepmother of King Artaxerxes I. Uh, in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, he is actually ministering during the time of Nehemiah. So at the beginning of Nehemiah 13, he's been there for about 12 years, helping them uh, kind of reestablish their government and helping the people uh, as they seek to honor uh, God's covenant. And so he, he travels back to Persia for a little, you know, business trip of sorts to meet with the king, Artaxerxes. And so when he comes back, he finds that every one of their commitments they would made, they've compromised uh, the temple has been neglected, and Tobiah even had a room basically emptied out for him to stay in. And so he's defiling the temple since he's not a Levite priest. The people were ignoring the commandment to honor the Sabbath, uh, basically doing business as usual on a day where they're supposed to rest from their work. And then the people were intermarrying with non-Jewish folks from surrounding nations, causing them to adopt false moral and religious beliefs and practices, also causing some confusion uh, among the language of their children because as they're intermarrying with other cultures, um, they're not able to fluently speak Hebrew. Uh, They're kind of speaking in a mixed dialect. And so the very things that God's people had been exiled for uh, in the past, uh, the things that they'd sworn in their recommitment to never do again, they're doing again. Again. So Nehemiah gets mad, he throws Tobiah out of the temple, he shuts out the merchants trying to make a buck on the Sabbath, and he curses out those who have entered into compromising marriages. You know, when we asked, well, what now? We, we didn't anticipate this was going to happen. Um, but since this is the last technical historical book in the Old Testament, shouldn't we have seen this coming? This has basically been the whole story of God's people throughout the Old Testament. God rescues his people from their plight. They worship him uh, and thank him for what he's done. They eventually forget what he's done and dive headfirst into disobedience, sin, and idolatry. And so God exiles them for their rebellion and repeat the process. <laughs> just keeps happening. And the case here is that even though uh, they were back worshiping in their promised land, uh, they were still spiritually exiles. Perhaps they thought they'd made it. We built the wall, no big deal. God wouldn't mind if you know we do this or that here and there. Or perhaps they thought that this whole thing was about the rebuilding of the wall when the wall was just a piece of it. The whole reason was for the renewal of God's covenant people um, and that they would uh, change their ways to model his ways. What they needed wasn't a newly built temple, which is what happens in the prior book of Ezra, nor did they need new city walls. Rather, they needed new hearts that could truly respond to God's love and grace with genuine devotion. So the ending of Nehemiah finishes kind of anticlimactically with God's people having failed to honor the covenant and with Nehemiah asking God to remember him for at least the good that he's done. So, what now? Well, about 400 years of God's silence pass. Then God the Son, Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, is born into human history, a poor, helpless, fragile baby boy. Jesus lives a perfectly obedient um, and, and totally righteous life. He takes on our wretchedness and exchanges us his own righteousness. He dies on the cross in our place for our sin. He's wrapped and buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he is victoriously raised to life again, conquering the power of Satan's sin and death. Not only has our debt of sin been paid in full, but now we've been given a new life that is freed from sin and is risen to live with Him. But what now? At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, if you're familiar with it, uh, it ends triumphantly with uh, Jesus telling His disciples to go and make disciples. Um, to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Uh, to teach them the things that he taught them, and that he would be with them to the end of the age. But after the resurrection that we read about in the Gospels, there's kind of this little book. Well, it's not a little book, uh, but it's after the Gospel of John called Acts. And so basically Jesus has been around for 40 days after he's been raised from the dead, And they basically ask, Hey Jesus, remember when you'd said, you know, you'd bring the kingdom of God and you'd restore the kingdom of Israel? When's that going down? And so Jesus responds only as Jesus can respond. It's none of your business. It's God's business. I'm paraphrasing. Um, But he says... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so even as on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. That the work required to accomplish our salvation has been done. He still sends us. He's prepared good works for us to do that we would walk in them, as Paul says in Ephesians, that we would be empowered to do them by the Holy Spirit. And as we have been walking through this series, as I mentioned earlier, we've also been doing a capital campaign to raise funds to make a down payment on this building. Um, About three years ago, we we looked at this building and weren't sure if it was uh, the right price or even the right place. But then... Somebody bought it up and reached out to us about leasing it out. So for the past two and a half years, we've been working to make this a space where uh, it's it's welcoming that we can uh, worship God through song, through the preaching and teaching of His Word, through communion, and through generosity. Um, has you know uh, we we've worked through finances. Uh, we've we've had to adjust. We've had to cut. We've had to implement uh, certain things to to keep going. And as we've been wise with our finances, uh, as we're coming up on the third year of our three-year lease, um, the Riverwood Partners voted to move to purchase this building. Uh, Right now, we're sitting uh, more than halfway towards our goal. Uh, After, you know, a few Sundays ago, we announced how much uh, the elders and the leadership team uh, were giving to the project. Um, And so we've, we've been about in this series for just over a month. And throughout, we've been asking you to just prayerfully uh, ask God what he would call you to give uh, willingly, cheerfully, and sacrificially towards this effort. But I want to remind you guys that this is not about the building. Yes, the funds we're raising are going towards uh, the down payment. But we're not raising the money for the building, per se. This isn't called the Building Campaign. It's called the Building Lives Campaign. So please turn your attention to the screens uh, as we hear from our friend Clay, a Warburg student, uh, who's been worshipping with us this past year.
1: Hi, my name is Clay Peel. I am a freshman at Warburg College, and I'm studying to get a bachelor's in exercise science. I'm from Madrid, Iowa, which is a small town of about 2500 in central Iowa. A little about how I came to know Christ, I grew up in a Christian family. My mom was a very strong Christian, but I, I didn't know it at the time, but up until I was about 10 years old, my father was not a believer. And that led to some marital issues between my mom and dad, and eventually uh, they got divorced when I was around 10 years old. Following that divorce, my father was able to reconcile and come to Christ, which he is now a stronger believer. On a Sunday after church, he kind of challenged me a little and just really kind of asked me, well, are you saved? Do, Do you know Christ? and upon being asked it was really pretty clear to me that i hadn't done anything legitimate i had you know done the crawl under my bed and jesus uh, i love you kind of prayer when i was younger but it was pretty clear to me that i had not done anything legitimate in the way of confessing my sin and giving myself up to god so it was on that day that i made a profession of faith and gave myself up to God. And that has almost been nine years from, almost nine years from today, actually. God really has been uh, at work in my life this year. What I thought was just a random another Sunday, I rolled into Riverwood kind of church hunting. And I, I had been to a couple other churches before and I had just been praying before each new church was like, God, just, if this is the church that I need to be going to, just, can you make that explicitly clear to me? And I definitely knew I was going to be coming back the next Sunday, and I have been coming here since, and just through the connections I've made at Riverwood, and sermons, and the fellowship has really helped me to continue to grow this year, even though I'm removed from my family, and, um other spiritual connections that I have back home, I'm still able to continue to grow and become stronger in Christ every day. And also just daily devotions have gotten a lot stronger this year too, which I'm very happy to say Uh, God has really worked in my life through that. I have seen some of those patterns of sin become a lot more apparent to me And obvious that I need to um, go to God about that and try to do everything I can to help produce change in that way. And I really have seen a lot of those changes occur, whereas I'm not going to those sinful habits as much or at all anymore. And instead, I'm going to other believers that I have met or straight to God. Growth Group has been a really good consistency to have every week to unwind from the week that just ended and get ready for the week that is to come. Having people that I know that are strong in faith and are older than me, more mature than me, and have gone through the things that I'm going through right now has been extremely helpful to seek counsel in those people and also just be able to hear from them and tell them about how I'm doing. Spiritually, it's been nice to be challenged by those people every week. And um, it's always just nice to have people that I can get to know more and more about every week, that I can become better and better friends with, that I can bring prayer requests to and just be comfortable with believers that had I not come here, I never would have known. And It's through experiences like that that I know that God is working and it's nice to see that God did have a greater plan and God's greater plan is working out and that that was a God thing. He brought me here because he knew this is where I needed to be um, in order to best grow this year.
0: isn't that once we've succeeded in raising the funds that uh, we've somehow made it. Um, No, our hope is that in being able to make this down payment that we could alleviate uh, other expenses, um, that we can continue to do what God is calling us to do as a ministry, as co-laborers in Christ. We can continue to support the raise in Minneapolis. We can continue to support our overseas missionaries. We can continue to serve at the monthly food pantry. We can continue and even expand our use of this building, um, not only to be a resource for the community, uh, not only as a platform for the good news of what God has done to be shared, but more so as a launch pad for those of us who trust in Jesus to go into our homes, our jobs, our workplaces, our schools, our community, To invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus, um, to love and live as he has called us to. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Um, We're going to move into a time of worshiping God through communion. Um, And before we take communion together, um, I want us to take a moment to remember these things. This is the gospel that we were dead in our sins against God and each other, that Jesus lived blameless and sinless, that he died as a sacrifice for our sin, and that he rose to life again in glory. And if you're a Christian, whether you're a part of the Riverwood family or uh, you haven't been for for a time or you're just visiting us, uh, if you follow Jesus, we would invite you uh, to partake in communion with us. We ask that you would participate with us, partaking in the bread, Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross in our place for our sin and the juice, his blood that was shed, poured out for our redemption, that we would be cleaned up by him, that we would be washed pure and white as snow. And if you're not a Jesus follower yet, or you can't quite call yourself that yet, I just want to let you know that we're so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning, uh, that you're here today. Um, we we love you, and we would just ask if you're not at that point yet, um, don't feel uh, a pressure. don't Don't take the elements um, because of what they mean. But if you are perhaps feeling that God is drawing you, uh, if you've got questions. I would rather encourage you to uh, go speak with Aaron or one of the elders uh, about it as as we pray for you, as we care about you. We want to see you come into a deeper relationship with Jesus. This is all that it's ever been about. It's all been about Jesus. It's all about sharing his good news of what he's done with people. Let us do this together.